Uh, before we kind of go into what we're talking about today, I think it's important that you know a little bit about me. I kind of want to give you just a, a little bit of information about me. Growing up, I was a little bit of a bookworm. I don't know why that was funny. <laughs> but I was a little bit of a bookworm. Uh, I, I enjoyed reading. I enjoyed reading fiction, and I would just be reading all the time. And one of the things you need to know is that one of the books that I love to read, one of the series of books I love to read, was The Chronicles of Narnia. If you never read those books, here's something you need to know. Uh, four children, two brothers and two sisters, enter into another world. And the way they enter into this world is they go through the doors of a wardrobe. They go through these doors of a wardrobe, and they get into this new world where there is talking animals, where there's uh, dwarves, where there's centaurs, where there's... It was very geeky. So... They entered into this new world by entering through this door of the wardrobe. Now, you also need to know that I grew up in New York City, and I grew up in a six-story apartment building. We didn't have wardrobes. We had basement laundry rooms. And so what would happen is, is we would go downstairs, and we would have this laundry room, and there's two six-story apartment buildings right next to each other. They're connected to this basement walkway, and my mom would have to bring my sister and I down to do the laundry. And the reason that you had to stay down there was because if the washing machine stopped and you weren't there, well, someone was coming and taking out your clothes and putting them in a basket, and nobody wants anybody touching their clothes. That's just not cool. No one wants that. So we'd have to wait there for the whole washing cycle and the whole drying cycle. And while we're there, there's this whole corridor, and there's all these doors. There's all these doors in this corridor. And first of all, it's a basement. It's kind of weird to begin. You know, it's it's a basement. And so you're down there, and there's doors with different, uh, like, nameplates on office, boiler room, compact. There's one door that doesn't have a nameplate. Not only does it not have a nameplate, it's like cracked open just a little bit. So you could kind of see in, but you really can't see in. I was convinced as a 10-year-old boy, I was convinced that this was my way to Narnia. (laughs) I mean, I'm sharing this with you. I'm not actually exaggerating. Every time we went down to do the laundry, I would go to this door and just like gently like, and it, it wouldn't open, but like gently touch it because I wanted to go to Narnia. I wanted to kind of leave this reality and enter into this fictional reality that I had read about. Uh, there was this desire for me to go through this door from one reality and, and walk through that door into another reality. And the truth of the matter is, is that if you really are honest with yourself, if we're honest with ourselves, if we look at humanity, there's been a desire in humanity throughout history to somehow find some sort of door. It could be a metaphorical door, but to go from one reality to another reality. Maybe it's the reality of of going from a job that you're frustrated to a reality of a job that you find fulfillment. Maybe it's the reality of going from, from the life of singleness to a life of marriage. Maybe it's going from this reality to this reality. When growing up where I grew up, a lot of people that I knew, it was just the reality of going from one neighborhood to a different neighborhood. There's this desire at times for some of us to find some sort of way to move from a reality to another reality for some sort of status change. 
And if you look in the Bible and you look through the Old Testament, the people of Israel had a similar thing. They had this picture as well. And then interestingly enough, they used this picture of a door or of a gate. And there was this desire to move from one reality to another reality. There was a desire for this reality to change into a reality of salvation. And there were times when they talked about salvation in regards to salvation of their circumstances or salvation in regards to those who were oppressing them or the governments or, or nations who had taken over them. But most of all, the focus of this reality shift was focused on the reality of shifting their relationship with God. They knew that they had entered into the story separate from God, and there was a desire to enter into what was called a life of righteousness, a life in right relationship with God. They wanted this reality shift to happen. And throughout the Old Testament, the way that that was accomplished, the way that they followed through with that, was through their actions, was through their obeying the law. If they did enough good, if they did uh, a little amount of bad, if they continued to kind of have that scale tip in the right way, if they did that, they could somehow do the right amount of sacrifices, do the right amount of rituals, and hopefully get themselves into this right relationship with God. And as we move from the Old Testament, which is the first part of the Bible, the first half, and we go into the second half, the New Testament, and the New Testament is the second half of the Bible, which starts when Jesus enters into the story, what happens is we have these religious leaders. We have these people called Pharisees or Sadducees, basically the religious leaders of the Jewish time. And they're following that same rhythm of life. If we do enough good actions, if we do enough of these rituals, then we can somehow establish righteousness and somehow establish this right relationship with God. The problem with that is that's not humanly possible. The problem with that is that that can't happen. Throughout all history, from the beginning of time till today, no one can do that. Because... We do something that's called sin, and when we sin, we are going opposite of God's attributes and opposite of God's desires, and all have sinned, except for Jesus. And Jesus entered the story, and he collides with these religious leaders, and you see, these religious leaders were proud of their righteousness. They were proud of, of their good works. They were proud of the way that their righteousness somehow made them better than those around them, and Jesus is like, your righteousness is insufficient. Your righteousness is not going to work, and so he collides with them in the book of John. And he makes an audacious, bold claim. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get you a Bible. We'd love to give you one for free. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth, and we want you to have access to one. So John chapter 10, if you've never used the Bible, there's a table of contents at the beginning of the Bible. We're going to read verses 7 to 9. Therefore... Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Some translations don't use the word gate. Some use the word door. But what we need to understand is that what Jesus is saying when he's saying that I am the gate, I am the door, this is a scandalous claim. 
This is a bold claim. And what Jesus is saying here is that not only does he make a way for us to be restored into a right relationship with God, he is saying, I am the way for you to have a right relationship restored with God. This passage, this chapter 10, is filled with all sorts of imagery. There's imagery of, of, of Jesus as being a shepherd. There's imagery of Jesus being uh, the gatekeeper. And, and, and this, this image of sheep was a, a, a well-known image in that time. And the gatekeeper would have been uh, like the shepherd lying across the entryway. And there's this, this image of protection. There's this image of care. But this image of Jesus saying that I am the gate, he's not just the gatekeeper, he's the gate. He's not the one who just creates a way for you to be restored to a righteous relationship with God. He is the way. And this is a bold and radical claim. Why? What does this mean? Why is this so bold? Why is this so radical? Well, let's look again. And what we see in verse 9. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. There is no other way to be saved except through Jesus. There is no other way. You know, we look at the Jewish religious people of the time, and, and yes, they are there, and they're relying on their good works. They're relying on all of this good stuff for them. And the reality is, before we judge them too much, we kind of do the same thing. We kind of do this, if I go to church enough, or if I give enough offering, or if I volunteer, certainly if I volunteer in the nursery, that alone should skyrocket me to righteousness. Right? We, we kind of do the same thing. We live according to this merit-based system. This work. And Jesus is saying, no, no. I am the only way. It's not just that I created a way for you to get right with God. I am the way for you to get right with God. And what I think that we need to pause and understand is that sometimes when you look at this passage, we have the tendency to try to make it about just simply heaven and hell. And the reality is I need to pause and say there is a very real heaven. There is a very real hell. Hell is a very real consequence to our sin. It is a very real thing. But at times I feel that we make a mistake and we boil down the gospel to simply getting into heaven and not going to hell. When the primary focus should be about Jesus not just establishing a way for us not to be in hell or heaven. No, Jesus establishing a way for us to have a right relationship with God. That is the primary focus. Where we were separated from God, Jesus becomes the way where we can now be restored into relationship with him into a righteous life, a life with him. And that begins now. And here's why that is so important when it comes to this passage. Here's why it's so important to understand that that life begins now. We're in the middle of a series we're calling Come and See. And in this series, we're taking a look at the book of John and we're taking a look at different statements that Jesus makes about himself. And as we look at these statements, we're going to learn a little bit about who Jesus is. And as we learn about who Jesus is, we'll learn a little bit about who we are as a church. Here's why it's important to understand that this isn't just a heaven-hell thing, that this is a, a stepping into a restored life in relationship with God, and that begins now. You cannot 
accept the invitation to come and see unless you also accept the command to go and tell. You cannot accept the invitation to come and see unless you also accept the command to go and tell. Did I just make that up? Like, don't take that because I said that at face value. Jump into the word of God and actually look and see what it actually says. Let's go back to verse nine. I only read the first half of that. Look at what it says then. They will come in and go out and find pasture. There's two directions that are referred to in this gate. We enter in through the gate into a restored relationship with God, and we are sent out through the gate to go live life on mission. There's two directions. You you see that? You enter in into a restored relationship with God that can only happen through Jesus. Then you are now sent out through the gate. You are sent out through Jesus to now go and make disciples. You are sent out to continue what Jesus started. Jesus is the gate that we enter through and that we are sent out to. We are invited to come and see, and then we are commanded to go and tell so that others may come and see. Do you see that? There's a rhythm of multiplication that occurs in regards to our life with Jesus and to our life as disciples. Today is Impact Sunday, and we're doing things a little bit different today. And what we want to do today is just talk a little bit about that rhythm. Talk a little bit about that rhythm of coming and seeing who Jesus is, having our lives completely impacted that, by that, that encounter and having our lives completely changed, and then being sent to go and tell. Well, with us today are Sanjay and Karen from Life Change Ministries International. Uh, and so, Sanjay, we've been partnering with you guys for a while. Can you tell us a little bit about our relationship uh, between Calvary and Life Change? Yeah, Carlos, thank you. Uh, it's been 16 years that God has uh, brought us together. What an incredible, uh, effective, and strong relationship, and able to reach so many children through that partnership. Karen, um, you guys have a specific kind of focus. You devoted your life for the mission of Jesus. You devoted your life to going and making disciples and, and, and advancing the gospel, but you have decided to focus on a specific area, a unique kind of focus. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, the Lord led us to start Christian camps for children in India and Asia. I know it's part of Asia, but that's where we are from, and that's been our launching pad. Um, but we do camps, we do uh, parent seminars where we talk about gospel-centered marriages and how to raise godly children, and we also do seminars for pastors to raise awareness uh, to care for special needs children and adults, and we also do community development centers where we're teaching women to sow so that they can provide for themselves and for their families. But yeah, our main focus is camps, uh, what we do. And when I was talking to you guys earlier, you said there was kind of a shift that originally was just kids' camps, and then you quickly realized that you had to focus on the parents as well. You had to focus on the family as well. Yes. And, and that's something that we really resonate with here because of our values of partnering with parents. Sanjay, we talked earlier today and, and we talked about, uh, you mentioned to me a phrase. Mm. You mentioned to me a statement and you said, the hole in our church. Yeah. Um, why don't you explain a little bit about what that is and what, how that has impacted you guys? Yeah, yeah it's the, 
the hole in the church, we call it, is a seminar. Part of the reason we did that is part of our ministry is to reach children with disabilities. Um, one of the things that when we began doing ministry, we realized that there, in India, for example, where we come from, uh, it is said about 90 million children and young adults have special needs of different kinds or on the spectrum. And, and when we look at that and how much of a, a challenge that is for those, and we realize that, yes, we are doing camps, praise God. God is sending uh, hundreds and thousands of kids to our special needs camps, praise God for that. However, the, the, the mission is large. And one of the things that God has convicted me when I was going through disability training with uh, Johnny and friends in their online course is that we got to mobilize the church. I mean, one of the things that God has really impressed on my heart was that if we cannot raise the church and help them understand that it is the responsibility of the church. One of the things that I, when I put that curriculum together, I talk about that a church is not complete without that boy and girl who are with special needs. They have to be in the church because they've been ignored left and right and center all the time. And if we do that in, the same, in our church, we just not live in the gospel. And so we train pastors and we say, brothers, let's rise up and not ignore that child who has with special needs. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Yeah. Praise God. We, we definitely resonate with you with the same heartbeat. Um, for us, uh, our Bridge Disabilities Ministry is such a part of the DNA of who Calvary Church is. And... Um, Yes, our church would be incomplete without our Bridge families, and so, so, so agree with you on that. Um, you have all of Souderton here in front of you. Yes. You have Quakertown watching at the, at the Quakertown campus, and then you have people watching online. What are some ways that we can intentionally pray for your ministry, but also for both of you and for what's going on? Thank you. Um, I would definitely say, first thing, uh, you know, we all recognize uh, we can have uh, one of the finest ministry design. Uh, obviously, we can have all kinds of tools in our hands, but yet one thing we recognize is that if the Spirit of God doesn't move a heart unto himself, nothing will happen. And so would you please pray with us that even as we go and do Christian camps in India and Asia, that God would move his Spirit in mighty ways. That's number one. Number two would be is that pray with us. Uh, we are trusting God to do 130 camps between India and Asia all combined. And that is an incredible opportunity that we have. We are excited about opening up new, new regions like Bangladesh and Sri Lanka pretty soon. Uh, Lord willing, pretty soon, in two weeks' time, I'll be flying over to those two countries to do that. Pray that God would continue to open doors for us to do that. Third thing I would definitely say, Carlos, is this is an important thing for us to consider us to pray, is that even as we do this ministry, we're grateful to God that the openings that God has done for us. However, we recognize, and I think you all understand that, not everybody is psyched about getting this gospel out to these children. There are so many roadblocks that, are, that we see at every single camp. And one of the things that God has really impressed on our heart is that we gotta be able to do discipleship in such a fashion there. We need to be, be creative. Mm. And so the third thing I would ask you to pray is that we are beginning to start what we're calling a tuition center. Where we would just, go, I mean, a part of our ministry has always been rural and tribal area. 
We don't do camps in the city because city has a gospel, but those areas do not have. And so we're going to be doing these tuition centers uh, across India and South, A- and South Asia particularly in, in the hopes and prayer that even as we give them tuition with academic, but these kids, about 10 to 15 of them is what our limit is. We're going to do that because we want to do right discipleship. Give them academic help, but yet introduce them to Jesus every single day, five days a week. We are so excited about that. Uh, we are excited to launch 30 of them this year. And so pray with us about those things, please. And our family, we're grateful to God for uh, Karen and myself. We're celebrating 25 years of marriage together, so we are grateful to the Lord for that. And, um, and our kids, we have a big graduation year. Thank you. Uh, all three of our three girls will be graduating this uh, May and June, actually. So The older ones, God willing, will be graduating college from Penn State and Grove City College. And our youngest will be graduating high school. So you could be praying for us, uh, you know, big year of change. We need a lot of prayer right now. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are so thankful that you were able to spend some time with us, uh, and we will definitely be praying. Uh, And for those of you in Sarton, you will have an opportunity to uh, meet Sanjay and Karen. Uh, And for you in Quakertown, there are other uh, people that we are partnering with in our missions endeavors and our impact endeavors that you will be able to meet as well over in Quakertown. So we're really excited about that. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much. Well, as I said, today is a little bit different. Uh, It's Impact Sunday, and we're going to kind of take that to a whole different level today. Uh, Missions has been such a part of our DNA at Calvary. In fact, it it goes right back to the very beginning. Uh, You may not know this about us, but when Calvary first started, its very first service years and decades ago, all of the money that was collected at that first service was given to missions. And it's been, a, uh, um, it's been something that we have continued to do throughout the years. And so every first Sunday of the month, any undesignated giving goes to our international ministries. And so we are uh, very excited about Impact Sunday. Uh, and so we want to continue that. And we want to just talk about how much God is doing impact locally, regionally, and around the world. Uh, and if you're Uh, not really interested in hearing about missions, or if you're not really interested in hearing about God's impact uh, locally, regionally, and around the world, you're at the wrong church, just so you know, uh, because we're going to talk about it a lot. Uh, And so we're really excited to have with us today, uh, not just Sanjay and Karen, but we also have uh, two people from Haggai Ministries. Take a look at the video on the screen to get an idea of uh, what they do as well. The mission in front of us is an uphill challenge, and yet, it is the greatest privilege of our lives. Think about it. 7.6 billion people, 6,300 languages, and more than 2 billion have never even heard the gospel. In the world we face, there is truly gospel poverty. We are the leaders of Haggai International, and we are over 125,000. We were selected, equipped, and we are now multiplying this movement all over the globe. In a time where traditional Western mission is all but in a holding pattern, we already live and work in the nations that have the greatest gospel poverty. We don't need a passport, we don't need a visa. We are here, culturally aware, locally engaged, 
and strategically positioned. We are doctors, lawyers, teachers, CEOs. We are pastors and church planters. And just like you and your church, we are driven to advance the gospel to those who have not had the opportunity to hear and respond to Jesus. We are more focused than ever. And while we present Jesus, we are also fighting for justice in the areas like hunger, human trafficking, education, and more. Our vision is to equip more of us, and the time is now. We want to multiply from 125,000 to over 1 million leaders in just the next 10 years, and your church plays a critical role. Your heart and passion for the nations, united with our indigenous leadership approach to global missions, is vital. The mission is too big, and the task is too great not to do whatever it takes to reach those who are living in the greatest poverty of all. Church partnership is a strategic collaboration where you will not only be a part of advancing the good news among the gospel poor, but God will use it to impact your church community as well. We are the leaders of the Haggai International, serving in 189 different nations. We are seeing souls saved, lives transformed, and nations redeemed. Together, with your church, we can help end gospel poverty. Well, with us today are Dave and Vera from Haggai Ministries, and I love um, that mission of ending gospel poverty. I think that that is a very powerful statement. Uh, Dave, why don't you explain to us a little bit about our relationship together with Calvary and Haggai, and uh, also, because I know uh, that she is very humble, uh, will you please also introduce Vera to our congregation as well? Absolutely. So um, I get the privilege to say that y'all have been a partner with Haggai International for over 22 years. Um, It has been an incredible relationship to see I get to see the fruits of your labor, but um, today you get to get introduced to Ver Nagasa. Ver's from Cameroon in Africa, and it's West Africa for anybody who wants to know. Uh, sits right beside Nigeria. And Vera is a very special lady. Um, one of the key things that we hope to end is human trafficking, and Vera is a huge part of that in Africa. Um, Vera is a Supreme Court justice in Africa. Uh, so... Yeah. Not only is she a Supreme Court justice, she's also a university professor who helped found and teach um, the ability for women to have rights in Africa. So, so many times. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And last but not least, you might clap one more time. Um, she, is, she teaches in about six to nine other countries inside of Africa, helping the judicial system to protect the rights of women and children who have been trafficked. And so she is part of a program. Yep. So she's part of leading the way of helping countries um, know the value of a wife, a mother, a daughter, of a child. Um, There's a movie out real quick. I'll just mention it if anybody wants to see it. It's on YouTube. It's called Sisters-in-Law. 
Um, it was filmed in 2004, and it became a Cannes Film Festival award-winning. They won 16 awards internationally, was shown at 120 different events, and it's about the life of Vera and one other lady who protected um, one of them was a young six-year-old girl who had been beaten so badly. Um, Vera said that the, the back of her back was scars upon scars upon scars upon scars that she was beaten because eventually they, she owned a little piece of property and this person wanted to kill her and get the property. So this is Vera uh, Nagasa. And so um, guys, I'm gonna turn it over to her now. Thank you. <clears throat> One, we're just so grateful and honored that you have decided to spend this Sunday with us today. Um, you definitely have a unique setting uh, to accomplish the mission of Jesus. Tell us a little bit about how that looks uh, in your life, uh, in uh, your workplace, and, and just in your everyday. Thank you, Carlos. You know, Jesus gave us a last command, which should be our first desire. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, ethnos, people groups, tribes, cultures. So I'm a judge and I used to be a prosecutor um, in the Cameroon judiciary for the past 35 years. And we are not allowed to overtly preach because it would show that we are taking sides with one religion against all the others. So what do I do? I want to resign and go into full-time ministry, but the Lord will not permit me. He gives me Isaiah 28, 6, which says he will be a spirit of justice to them that sit in judgment and strength for them that turn the battles at the gates. So I begin to see things through gates. Justice is a gate. Uh, there are portals into every institution that people go into the hospitals are portals into health. So depending on who is sitting at the gate, the people will either get evil or good. So I decide to sit in the gates of justice and open the gates of righteousness for people to go in. And what does that mean? Dispense justice with compassion and the love of Christ. Right standing. Give a widow back her property that has been stolen by her in-laws. Uh, vindicate a poor man who has no hope, lose the bonds of the oppressed, release people who have been wrongfully accused from prison. And now when people come to ask me why I do what I do, 1 Peter 3.15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart always, and be ready to give an answer to those who ask you, what is the reason for your faith? And do that in humility and gentleness. So I weep out the scriptures and I lead them to Christ. Then, thank you. Then I catch fish amongst my own kind. Lawyers are very slippery fish. And, <laughs> and uh, they believe that we are so bad that we cannot see God. So nobody really has an agenda to preach to us. So I disciple lawyers, judges, magistrates, and prosecutors amongst my own kind. I teach them to live integral, to work with excellence, with compassion and to, to live clean in a very corrupt system, and by so doing, open the gates of righteousness into the justice system. 
Okay, let's pray and go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to know, just as I asked earlier uh, with um, Karen and Sanjay, how can we be praying for both of you? How can we be praying for Haggai Ministries? Um, what's the impact of Haggai Ministries right now? Uh, if you could just tell us how we can just join you with that. Absolutely. Um, first, I'm going to start with the impact. And... Um, I want to start with the church's impact, if that's okay with you. Um, so, yeah, I've been a faithful supporter, again, for the last 22 years. And uh, we like to measure um, how good we're actually doing with our leaders. So we ask them several questions throughout the years. How many people do you witness to? How many people do you disciple? How many people do you lead to Christ? Um, and we know that for every $1 that we put into training, 16 salvation messages are presented, but they're presented with a verdict. And so they actually present the gospel and ask for people to come to Christ. These are people in high leadership positions. There's a Supreme Court justice. We have presidents and uh, CEOs and doctors and just all these different positions internationally. And so they're presenting the gospel and accomplishing that. So your gift just last year would have provided over 390,000 gospel presentations throughout the world. Not only that, but 25% of those people come to Christ. So if you do the math, that's a lot of impact that this church, Calvary Church in Southerton is making. As far as what... Um, we need, we need prayers for our people. Um, she's not going to admit this, but her country's in a civil war. Uh, Vera cannot go home to her native home. She lives in the capital where she's Supreme Court justice, but she can't go home anymore um, without threat of dying. Mm. Uh, and that's the case of anywhere. Uh, Sanjay would say the same thing as he produces leaders of little children who are going to grow up to become leaders. Um, the impact of the threat on Christ is greater now than ever before, especially internationally. And so for us as international leaders that we're trying to train at Haggai, our prayer is that you would pray for them. Um, you'd pray for us that we could train more qualified leaders um, that would open the portals, like you said, in the gates of uh, education and healthcare and break down the bond so Christ can be proclaimed throughout the world. Um, so please pray for us. And please pray for our, our dear sister, Vera. So, yeah. Awesome. We really appreciate you guys spending some time with us this Sunday. Uh, and so we will actually pray for you in just a moment, as well as uh, uh, Sanjay and Karen. Uh, but we want to just say thank you again for spending some time to us. Thank you. So I hope you got a glimpse, just a glimpse of the impact of the gospel and how it just completely just explodes, not just across our community, but across the world. And I want us to remember that two-way direction of the gate. All are offered the invitation to come and see. 
And we can only enter into that relationship with Jesus, the relationship, that right relationship with God through Jesus. That is the only way. And then we are sent out through that same gate. We are sent out through Jesus to go and tell. So what do we do with that as a church? What do you do with that this week? I don't know. That's between you and God. I almost gave you a homework assignment. And then I was like, I'll let God work on them. Here's what I would ask you to do. Just ask yourself this question. What's my next step in advancing the gospel? What's my next step as I live life on mission with Jesus? That's it. And let God open up the door. Let God reveal to you what it is next. Maybe it's getting involved in someone's life uh, in your neighborhood. Maybe it's just pouring into um, that, that kid who just doesn't have a dad. And you're going to pour into that kid. And you're going to be the love of Jesus to that kid. Maybe you're going to walk around with $20 in your pocket this week. Praying for the opportunity for God to show you who you need to give it away to and who you need to share the gospel with when you do that. Maybe as you go out here in Quakertown or in Sourton and go talk to some of our ministry partners, maybe it's designed to partner with them, whether it's through prayer or volunteering. I don't know, because I'm not God. You spend some time praying with him and talking to him. We're invited to come and see, and then we are commanded to go and tell so that others can come and see. You see, as our values state, as we connect with God and he impacts our life, we are then sent to connect with others and impact their lives with the gospel. Let's be that kind of church, living on mission with Jesus. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for Sanjay. We're going to pray for Karen. We're going to pray for Vera. We're going to pray for Dave. And we're going to pray for all of our partners And we're going to pray for us as a church that we would be a church so filled with a passion for Jesus that we can't help but just let that passion explode to everyone and anyone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you for Sanjay and Karen and for what they are doing over in Asia with, with the lives of families and children and those in, impacted by special needs. And, and we are just so grateful for their hearts. We ask you that you would strengthen them, that you would equip them, uh, that you would just protect them, that you would open up doors for them uh, that they thought could never be opened, that you would just surprise them and open up those doors. Lord, we pray for Dave and all he's doing for Haggai Ministries, we ask you that you would bless that, that there are people all over the world who are trying to make disciples in their line of work, and that there are people of influence who are trying to advance the gospel. We pray for them. We pray especially for Vera, that you would protect her as her life is threatened every day, as she has stepped into the danger zone. We ask you that you would protect her and that you would just bless her. All of our ministry partners that are here today and all of the ministry partners that we have partnered with, we ask you to just pour out a blessing on them and we ask you that you would just fill our heart with a passion to be on mission with you in our neighborhoods, in our region, and around the world. Help the gospel to go forth. Help us proclaim the name of Jesus and let our lives 
be a living picture of the love of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.